Welcome everyone. Thank you for being here. And there are those who will continue to join us, but I want to especially uh, offer my gratitude to those who come early so that we can sit together. Uh, even though we don't see each other in full, I can feel the fullness of your presence uh, through your, your sitting. Um, so let's begin.
or verse of the robe. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. On this uh, Thanksgiving week, um, which comes at the end uh, of this week, and as we chant the robe chant, I realize it in some ways as a um, as a um, sort of a Thanksgiving prayer, as it were. The vastness. A liberation in which we're held is an immense gift and something we can realize through practice take on and embody and then express back in the world uh, which is our um, our vow in in this this practice so i want to talk just a little bit about uh, thanksgiving and gratitude since it's that week it seems appropriate and I want to begin with a very brief uh, poem by uh, Mark Nepo, who many of you know, of course. He's a very prolific uh, writer and uh, poet. And this brief poem is titled Thanksgiving Reflection. Um, it's um, a simple reflection, but it also expresses a turn, which I want to open up and, and really uh, offer for our deeper practice reflection and inquiry today. And I'll, I'll read the poem twice uh, so you can get a, a feel for it. Once again, Thanksgiving Reflection. What amazes me is that before we can count, we're taught to be grateful for what others do. As we are broke open by our experience, we learn to be grateful for what is. If we live long enough and deep enough and authentically enough, gratitude becomes a way of life. So again, what amazes me is that before we can count, we're taught to be grateful for what others do. As we are broken open by our experience, we learn to be grateful for what is. And if we live long enough and deep enough and authentically enough, gratitude becomes a way of life. So in that brief reflection, there are these essentially three turns in maturity which shape our relationship uh, with, with gratitude and with giving thanks. 
gratitude as a, a way of life in its most mature form, opened by the struggles of our, our life and accepting life as it is, well beyond being just thankful for what others do or for what we like or prefer. A kind of a gratitude that isn't simply in response to what is good or what we like, but for, for all of life. There are a few ways that I, I want to just note which have to do with either um, close allies to gratitude or um, what in Buddhism is sometimes called near enemies, things that aren't gratitude but kind of substitute in a way. It's a way just to reflect on your own experience and your own habit patterns because we, we can have embodied habit patterns based on our history and all the things that shape us. One of the habit patterns that some people carry, a good number of people, is to always be looking for what's wrong or what doesn't fit. And it's not uh, some sort of you know negative or damaging thing. It, it Sometimes it's basically just a practical thing based on trying to protect oneself. Um, always looking for the problem area or, or what's what's wrong, what doesn't fit in. And this isn't, of course, a way of seeing clearly, but a kind of an orientation or an attitude which ends up proving something about the world and about ourselves if we adopt this attitude or we have this particular shape based on our conditioning. Life is difficult. Life is against me. Whatever it might be. And this is seeing life and meeting life and responding to life from a part of us, a protective part usually, rather than from our more liberated, free-functioning being, which we uh, practice to, to open. Uh, so that's one way in which we can lean in a certain way. The, another way, which is a bit counter to it, I guess, in, in a certain sense, is <clears throat> the way some of us are shaped uh, to be, you know, kind of good or positive. So we try to be grateful in ways that are essentially, uh, I'm sorry to say, and I know I've experienced this myself, which are essentially methods of spiritual bypassing. It's, it's another habit of trying to <clears throat> do an end around the difficulties trying to see the good in everything, to find the silver lining, to find the lesson that is somehow beneficial in the midst of what may be quite horrible, without fully acknowledging the difficulties or struggles embedded in, in the situation. Um, it's not that we want to be submerged by the difficulties. That was the first difficult, uh, first orientation. But you also don't want to try to always rive above and step aside and deny or dissociate from life as it is by always finding what's good and stepping away from actually what's what's quite difficult. One of my good friends, Dewitt Jones, who many of you know or have seen his TED Talk, he has a theme in his teaching called Celebrating What's Right with the World. 
And he says in his TED talk, he says, I'm not a Pollyanna. I'm not suggesting that you just be happy about every single thing. But if you have a way of making sure that you orient yourself to notice what's nourishing, to notice what is good and right around you, then it provides a, a sense of, of uh, buoyancy and nourishment, which can help you through some of the difficult times. It's not an avoidance or reframing or glossing over reality. It's the gift of nourishment, um, which takes you away from the ditch of being a Pollyanna or, or just having a rosy, uh, rosy glasses. Two other things that are very close to, to, I think, moving through these steps that Mark Nepos suggesting in his small reflection. I think forgiveness is necessary to experience real gratitude. Forgiving ourselves for being ourselves, forgiving life for being itself, and not always according with our wishes, forgiving others for their shortcomings or errors. And you know, forgiveness is an entirely different topic, which is equally complex. But I don't think that I can experience the, the depth of mature gratitude without also understanding forgiveness. It doesn't mean wiping things away. It's closer to a, a profound acceptance of the complexity of life and just how it goes. And I also don't think, secondarily, that deep, the deepest gratitude is, uh, can flourish, can, can come to the surface without understanding something about grief. About being broken open by the world, which is another thing in the middle that Mark Nepo spoke about, and to letting go and letting go and opening again and letting go. Because grief keeps us very close to the tenderness and the fragility of the impermanent kind of contingent quality that is life and to learn to be grateful for that life rather than always fighting it and attempting to make it be something else more permanent less dependent on variables we can't control so forgiveness and grief I think move together to open some space for gratitude, which ends up being a deep acceptance of life as it is. Because without that, that's what we chant at the end, each moment life as it is, the only teacher. Without that, we end up picking and choosing things based on our personal preference, which is a smaller view. And that's very different than wise discernment. Wisdom is in the service of everything. Personal preference is based on our singular happiness. And so acceptance of life as it is, isn't a passive acquiescence. It's a clear seeing. It's like, oh, it is like this. So how do I respond? And sometimes that response is a surrender and a letting go. Sometimes it is an engagement so that something might be met and transformed. Sometimes it might be quite fierce with strong boundaries and clear limits 
That's all acceptance of life as it is because it's seen as it is, so we know how to respond appropriately. And then ultimately, true gratitude is the fruit of our practice. And it's going to open naturally because it's a natural quality. If we wake up to these barriers which block the flow of this of essential life energy, then gratitude is not very far from generosity and kindness. Just as a grief and forgiveness help open the door, generosity and kindness come right along with gratitude, with thanksgiving. And we can prime it, this gratitude, with memories. Sometimes we are reminded of something that's, that's wonderful, that nourished us, that for which we experience gratitude. And by the way, this kind of gratitude often doesn't have words. We can't quite even express. But we can have memories. Sometimes we see something, feel something that's so inspiring. It may be as simple as watching a leaf fall from a tree in the fall or winter, like now, in the sunlight. Watching the, a small rainbow that just appeared outside my window, literally, and then passed away again. And of course, there's an imagination in which we can create those things for which we feel grateful, even if they're not in our presence right now. We can prime that pump of gratitude by these things. Um, but that's just getting the water flowing because it's, true gratitude is deeper. And we can feel it as it begins to move. And often it's somewhat beyond words. So what is the practice? What are the practices that that bring us, because this is this is the, the, the point. And in, in Nepo's poem, he says, if we live long enough and deep enough and authentically enough, which describes to me a life of, of maturing practice, gratitude becomes a way of life, not something we have or don't have or feel or don't feel. It's not an emotion. It's an orientation towards life. In 2013, and I'm shocked to think it's seven years ago, uh, one of our uh, wonderful teachers that came through the San Francisco Zen Center, Myogen Steve Stuckey, who was abbot at the time, uh, developed um, at his first diagnosis uh, what turned out to be a stage four pancreatic cancer. He'd actually been to Apamada in Austin just a few months before uh, or very close, maybe a month before his diagnosis. And he said he wasn't feeling that great. That was in September. By Thanksgiving, he was quite ill and he died right around the first of, of the year, only in about three or four months. As he approached Thanksgiving of 2013, during the, uh, a deep part of his illness, this is what he wrote as a message to his students. And I want to read it in its fullness. It's three or four paragraphs. Make some, I'll stop and make some comments. And listen and see if you hear these qualities that I've been speaking about, which come from my own practice. But he speaks from a, a place 
knowing he's near death. And this is his Thanksgiving reflection. And once again, he's writing to a number of people um, through an electronic message. So there's a little formality to the word sometimes. He said, with time today set aside for Thanksgiving. So this was on Thanksgiving. One may consider how best to use this time as a true expression of gratitude. The practice of gratitude, he puts in quotes, for me begins simply with saying the word gratitude and allowing whatever arises in thought, whatever arises to be regarded as lovable no matter who or what it may be. This immediately cuts off the mind of personal preference and acknowledges that everything, absolutely everything, is fully participating in the fact of my existence this moment. I'll pause there. He doesn't say, becomes lovable so that then you appreciate everything as something positive. No. Acknowledging that everything, absolutely everything, is fully participating in the fact of my existence this moment. He goes on, the challenge of this practice often slaps me in the face and sets off a series of seemingly impossible barriers. These days, as you may know, I wake up and say, gratitude. And the next thought is pain in my belly or cancer or it's not fair. To accept such thoughts with gratitude may be impossible and even contribute to further unwholesome states of mind. So it is realistically healthier to enter this practice by creating a field of positive energy by first naming what you know from experience is nourishing for you. For example, gratitude for my friend, Larry, or gratitude for my mentor, my lover, my mother, the person who changed my life. Gratitude for sobriety, my family, this food, the sunlight, mashed potatoes and gravy, the capacity for healing, etc. It quickly becomes clear that one can create an infinite set of possible nourishments. And the mere fact of being alive tells us that positive, that is life-supporting factors, outweigh all others. So there's a choice he's making. This is a, a basis for fundamental confidence in reality. This is a basis for fundamental confidence in reality. This is a basis for fundamental confidence in reality. It's a very different attitude. Know that this life is rare and wonderful because it is happening right now and the full support of, with the full support of the universe. Wow, he writes. So he's saying, stepping aside for a moment, it's not, oh, everything's wonderful and lovable, isn't it? No, he's saying unwholesome states of mind can be created if you just want to see everything as pretty or good or no. But you can be nourished in such a way by gratitude and the willingness to see life as it is, everything fully participating to give you life, to form a basis for fundamental confidence in reality. That's what our practice uh, makes possible aside from whatever ideas about it 
we would prefer. He completes by saying, once the above truth is clear, it's not so difficult to be kind. One naturally wants to give back to that from which one has received so much. And since one has received and is now receiving so much from the mere existence of each other, it's a perfect time to say, thank you. Or, I love you. I invite you to step up this practice today as a positive nourishment practice for yourself. And as you do so, I feel even more gratitude and delight. And remember, he's saying this as he knows that he's, he's dying. That as you settle deeper into the basis for the fundamental confidence in reality, willingness to grieve, forgiving ourselves and each other each moment, seeing life as it actually is, realizing that we've been given a life, which is an immeasurable gift we can't even understand. That's why it's a spiritual practice, not just some philosophical thing. And as we come to understand these things deeper and deeper and deeper, we shift from just being grateful for the good things we get to accepting life as it is, to making gratitude a way of life. One final note. <clears throat> and I'm going to read just a note from, from this. Uh, the, the book, which includes teachings from my my teacher, Blanche Hartman. She says in a, a small segment called Just to be Alive is Enough. In 1989, I had a heart attack. As I was leaving the hospital, I stepped out into the sunshine and I had this sudden realization, wow, I'm alive. I could be dead. The rest of my life is just a gift. And then I thought, it's always been that way. From the very beginning, nobody owed me this life. It was just given to me. And in that moment of waking up, I found what a wonderful, rich feeling it is to be grateful to be alive. Just right now, right here, all the time. I don't have anything more special than knowing that just to be alive is enough. And she goes on to say more. Um, <clears throat> but she ends with, so living this life of gratitude, see, as a way of life, has really changed my life. I used to be both quite opinionated and quite ready to criticize anyone who didn't agree with me. You know, you can fill in your own list of faults there for which you will forgive yourself over and over. Now I recognize that my life depends on all the lives around me. We all support each other. None of us could take care of ourselves in a world all alone. We're so completely interwoven and interdependent, our life depends on one another. And as you begin to realize that, you can't help but be grateful. And that shift in understanding the interdependence and gift of each other is not just a maturity, not just a a spiritual practice, we see that it's also a political orientation of mutual care and appreciation, full of forgiveness and grief 
having some confidence of what it means to be a human and realizing that we can't do this without each other. And that's in some ways also just the basis of Sangha, what it means to be in a spiritual community and supporting each other. And that's one of the things that I give thanks for every day. All of you. To have a wonderful, uh, loving partner with whom I'll celebrate 40 years this same weekend as Thanksgiving. Of having had the kind of experiences I've had, which would give me the, in some ways, the luxury as a privileged person in this world to spend time reflecting and learning so that I could offer something back. There's so much to be grateful for. And there's so much life to have to meet, which I would rather be some other way, but I still am grateful for, for life. And then to take the Bodhisattva vows, which means that gratitude becomes a way of life. So if you will raise your hand, we'll have a little time to, to speak. And as you're orienting yourself and managing that technology, I'll just read the little poem again because it just encapsulates this movement. What amazes me is that before we can count, we're taught to be grateful for what others do. As we are broken open by our experience, we learn to be grateful for what is. And if we live long enough and deep enough and authentically enough, gratitude becomes a way of life. Hello, John. Hi, Flint. Uh, this is an experiment. I have my background being a family who visited me over Thanksgiving a year ago. Yeah. So I'm planning on getting on uh, Zoom with them on Thanksgiving Day. Like many people. <laughs> yes, like many people. Okay, so this uh, talk this morning was very timely for me. Um, two or three weeks ago, uh, one of my sisters came down with COVID-19. And uh, we were following her progress. And she was going, to, she was seriously ill. She was going to go back into hospice. But I was surprised how quickly things happened because she died this morning. Oh, she died just this morning. Yes. I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. So that leaves me with a question, among other things, about how to deal with things. Include, I'll go through the five steps, I'm sure, of uh, grieving. And is there any way in particular that this point of view of attitude of gratitude that you've mentioned uh, can apply to the specific problem of my grieving? So if I understand you correctly, in the, you're, you're left in this field of kind of surprise and loss with her death today. Yes. And you're wondering how to um, remain with an orientation of gratitude. Yes, yeah, is, is that appropriate? Um, yeah, I don't know if I could judge whether it's appropriate or not. I think it's, it's is, it, is it natural? Is when you feel this kind of loss, give yourself a lot of room to feel whatever you feel. Mm -hmm. Because remember, grief was part of what I spoke about. Yes. Understanding grief, you're not going to understand gratitude. So mm -hmm. there may be things that you're shocked by, saddened by, angered by, t 
tenderized by. There's so many things that, that open in grief. Mm, okay. And if you move through it, I'm sure that your, your love for her, maybe some difficulty you've had with her, everything will come up. That helps. What, you're, what we want to be grateful for is that we can make that movement. Not that we end up in some happy place where we say, oh, isn't she great? That's not the point. That we can make, our, we can move through all of that. Mm -hmm. And find some peace and some liberation, some freedom as we embrace it all, hold it all, let it move. So, uh, for starters, you know, working through whatever denial comes up. I mean, I'm going to have some denial probably, right? You might, you might not. I don't know. You'll see. Just okay. keep your eyes open, your heart open, your mind open. Attend to your body and notice where things land. Mm -hmm. Just stay awake. That's why we have our simple practice of just sitting. Just stay awake as you can. Forgive yourself for the times you're not awake. Grieve what's coming and what's going. Notice the times when you find kindness in yourself or generosity and appreciate the kindness and generosity comes to you from other people. Mm -hmm. Express their care. Mm -hmm. All of that will be the ground out of which uh, gratitude can grow. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what was her name? Um, Rocky was her nickname. Good, Rocky. Okay. Just wanted you to say it out loud. Oh, okay. Thanks, John. We'll be thinking of you. Mm, thank you. Hi, Beth. How are you? Good, good. Good to see you. John, I am so sorry for your loss. Yeah. Um, that is difficult stuff this time of year. Yeah. But, uh, and to be so close to it just this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so my, my question, uh, my uh, dilemma of thought <laughs> is with, um, um, I'm sorry. To do with that call. Is I don't know anyone in Mississippi. That's funny. Um, my dilemma is with forgiveness mm -hmm. because whenever I, my immediate thought with forgiveness is I am in judgment of someone and deeming what they have done or are doing or as they are is wrong. And I have to forgive them for that. Uh -huh. I, you know, my journey this year has been <clears throat> an acceptance of flawed abundance. I just love sitting in, you know, just having that as a part of my dialogue and my thought and my feelings. Mm -hmm. And um, how do you, not how do you, but it, I'm guessing it's just part of the journey to let the flawed abundance be a bigger part of your perception. And okay. this preferred reality, according to me, to be less. And then then exactly. there's a journey of forgiveness that really brings true gratitude. Am I? Yeah, the, the way you're describing it, I really like because you're really getting that forgiveness is closer to um, profound non-egocentric acceptance than it is about uh, absolving someone of something. Or it isn't so much about letting go of something. It's actually about getting closer. Yeah. Being more intimate with to the character, the feel of the... Uh, it's like it, to forgive someone doesn't say, oh, never mind, that was okay. It's more about 
I, I see, I, I see more deeply what happened. I see how it came about this way. I see your struggle. Or... I see my anger. I see my hurt. I won't deny that. Yeah. What, what you may have done or what happened may have been what I consider wrong and hurtful. And will I allow that to throw me off my path? Will I allow that to harden my heart? Will I allow that to shift my mind and my body into some old habitual belief about the world and about other people? Will I shift myself away from whatever goodness I've attempted to cultivate in my life, including sobriety? Will I do, what will I do with it? So that's coming closer, more intimate to what's happening so that you can allow it to move with freedom. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness is more about unsticking what's stuck than it is about absolving. Keeping the life force flowing more freely rather than yeah. stuck is either that's wrong or now it's freed up because I've forgiven you. That's too static and too dualistic. It's a little hard to describe. Am I making sense? It is making sense. And I'm thinking to myself, my old knee jerk would have been, you know, a case of the efforts, right? Instead of embracing and looking and recognizing flawed abundance or you know, I, part of my journey has been, oh, I wouldn't last 10 minutes in that person's head for them. And it would be more pity and eventually to forgiveness. Yeah. But, this is a more fierce entering yeah, and willingness to feel it all. And it doesn't mean that there aren't boundaries. You know, so much of what's come up recently is all this stuff that's political and some of the social justice things and all that, which are, which include elements that no matter how much you work with it, you're not going to just blow them off as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're truly damaging and really bad. That's yeah. true. By any sense of wisdom, they are. How am I going to respond to that, though? Am I going to create more suffering? Am I going to blow it off and do the spiritual end around and just play like it wasn't so bad and there's a lesson in it and isn't that good? Am I going to just try to see the good? I think that that's not always useful. I think we have to see what's difficult and realize it and sometimes confront it. Yeah. I remember hearing a story one time, Robert Aiken Roshi, who was such a towering figure in Zen. Um, he, he died uh, a number of years ago, but he was an amazing old, old guy, lived in Honolulu actually. And he was talking about being at a protest one time around a nuclear reactor. And the speaker at the protest was Joanna Macy, which some of you know, or know of her writings. And he said he was impressed with her fierceness and her fire. He said it was scorching, but when she was done, Nothing more could be said. It was so clean. It wasn't eccentric. It was the sword of Manjushri cutting through with discernment. That's equally part of forgiveness and grief and thanksgiving. Yeah. Thank you. So it's more than you think. Yes. <laughs> Usually is. Usually is. <laughs> Good to see you, Bets. Thank you for your excellent question. That really opened up an important piece. Thank you. Thank you.
Hi, Flint. It's good to see you. Can you hear me adequately? I can. I can see you hear you well. Oh, well, I'm in my home office and I've been rearranging my life a bit and I'm so glad to see you. I too want to express um, condolences to John and his family. Just looking at that picture, I can see that there's some young people there too. And I don't know whether they knew his sister well, but um, I offer that. When you spoke, I just recently attended a um, an event sponsored by Bo's Place, which is a place in Houston, Texas, that provides um, grief support in both English and Spanish to many, many people in the city of Houston. And, and the whole topic was speaking grief. And I didn't realize there's been a documentary made. Um, they, they did this with some other groups and it was very touching and then they had a lengthy discussion with about five people who work who are grief counselors either one was at Bo's place and mostly works with children and then there are people from who, who were originally their clients but have gotten into the field of psychotherapy and I've just learned yesterday that a young man who's the the son of a woman I respect and admire very much she was my sister's college roommate in when they were in law school and then She's an attorney and I had her do some work for me. And I've just learned that her 46 year old son who has three relatively young children has an operable brain cancer. Now he's already had three prior brain cancers and he was going for his fourth, but they opened him up and it's, it's not good. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't know why I feel like I can't even know how to, what to say to someone like that. I know I can be present to her. But I, I mean, some of what you said gives me ideas about reflecting on my own experience of grief of having lost family members and particularly my late husband, but it's. Well, you know, then, that sometimes there isn't very much to say. Well, that's what I sense. Um, but uh, but you also gave yourself the answer. It is important to be present. Mm -hmm. It's. You know, there's so many platitudes that you hear when you're the person in grief mm -hmm. that mostly, <laughs> I say mostly, a lot of times just makes you mad. <laughs> it doesn't really help. But it, it can really help if someone says, I, I, have, I have no words, but I'm right here and I love you. And I'll, I'll walk with you however you need. Mm -hmm. But I know I can't make it any better with, mm -hmm. I'm right here. So just acknowledge mm -hmm. and then be present. Be honest and truthful instead of trying to do the right thing or be good. Mm -hmm. Example that means to, to state your helplessness. That's part of the forgiveness mm -hmm. and part of the grief that shared and, and the kind of gratitude of care that we offer each other. Well, that's really helpful. Thank you very much. And I, I wish you and Aaron, the most happiest of, of anniversaries. Thank you very much. Thank you. Very much. Yeah. Thanks. Acknowledging uh, someone's loss, as each of the people have done about John's loss, for example, and my just saying, I'm sorry for your loss is, a, of course, the acknowledgement's useful, but 
trying to make it okay by going further is not doesn't usually help very much. But simply being with someone or holding their hand or letting them see that you're touched by their loss can be quite useful. And can call forward gratitude for the relationship that allows that kind of love and intimacy and kindness to flow. Hi. Hi. Took a second. Um, first of all, thank you so much for rereading what you read to us, because the first time is completely different than the second time. And in in this particular one, and I I would ask you maybe to um, type into chat or if somebody could the name of the the poet. Thank you. So the first time. Um, we're taught uh, to be grateful for what people do, and then the second, and then um, for what is, and then as a way of life. To me, they were all the same the first time you read it. They, they just blended what, so like, okay, what's he, the second time I got it, that it was really a progression. All right, and that's why I spoke to all of those different aspects, and then went back and read it again. Yes hoping that it would open that up a little bit because these distinctions are ones that I don't think people make very often, but they make a lot of difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, um, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, well, well, it's working. And, um, and the second thing was um, the forgiveness of others. So I'm with you on, you know, oneself and uh, what is, then we get to forgiveness of others. And that's, you know, that's a challenge, you know? And I, one thing that, that helped me um, just in a small way, you talked about memories after that. I'm not sure how, how that flowed, but. Um, about, uh, priming the pump for gratitude, reminding yourself of something you were grateful for. It helped you sort of get the flow going. Yes. And I kind of connected it to a breakup that happened in the last you know, five months or so where it's mostly not good feeling. Um, and then, but when I connected memories, especially to this time of year was when we were dating and it was really lovely. And I'm very grateful for those experiences. So that's as far as I got with that part. Well, and you can be grateful for what you have appreciations for right alongside the things you regret that for you or them or you did or you didn't do right alongside the things you resent it's how, how do you hold all that together not either or yes that's yeah that's and i yeah container of practice for which we can be grateful that we can have that larger container because guess what that's how life's going to be and being, um, I think I'm going to speak about this more um, in another time, um, but it's being grateful for um, and forgiving doesn't mean, like I said, letting someone off the hook necessarily, but it means letting ourselves off the hook in terms of our own destructive ways. It's like the old thing of, I'm going to, I'm going to teach you a lesson I'll never forget, <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's, exactly. 
I, I don't want to be destroyed by my own hatred, even if I have a clear boundary. And even if I can see that something is absolutely not moral or right in my estimation, is damaging for which I have some fury, I don't want that to burn me up and hurt me and destroy me because it's going to destroy others because that's part of interdependence. We can think about how I'm supported by the world, but guess what your job is? Supporting everything else. And if you harden your heart and your fault, you're going to, that's what you're going to broadcast. So it's, we're all working together all the time. And that flow, that's one of the reasons I love this inso behind me, because it isn't nice and clean and precise and black and white. It's full of the fire, you know, because that's how it actually is. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this idea of, um, you know, it's not that we uh, dismiss or avoid, like you say, the, the hurts, but instead of, I think you did this once instead of, you know, you, you, you do this, right. So it's, yes, it's accept, it's acceptance versus, uh, you know, sweeping it under the rug or denying running away. Thank you. Or being so angry that you can't find solutions. Yes, find a way to be with it. Uh -huh. Or know that even if you're not going to solve that problem over there, you're not going to make it worse. You're not going to fuel it from being an oppositional side to it. You're going to find some way to bring good in the world uh, when you've been met with something that you know and feel is absolutely not good. Exactly. Thank you. That's so not even getting us into evil. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Flint. Thanks, Rosemary. I so appreciate everyone's wholehearted efforts in bringing these things forward. It's really, really helpful for us to be able to talk about these things and not, you know, you know spiritually um, pretty them up or tie them up, or, uh, but to, to really wrestle with these things and meet them fully. Is there anyone else who might want to raise their hand to, to connect? I want to add, um, and I hope it's okay to do this just briefly, that there was another um, big loss uh, yesterday, one of our long time, and Efrat, come on in, that's great. I'll just finish by saying, because you'll appreciate this, one of our great friends, uh, Margaret Keyes, who's in Austin, and so many of you know, and met her uh, brother passed yesterday. Uh, uh, Bill, another, another uh, important loss. So just wanted to name that. And it's good to see you, my friend, Efrat. Hello from snowy Madison. Where oh, we yeah. Have first okay. snow today. So, so there, and I wore white and... Uh, in uh, respect and black for how I feel about it. <laughs> yes, and I noticed that. Um, I just wanted to tell you that as you were sitting in a meditation, a little notice was constantly flashing, Flint Sparks is speaking, Flint Sparks is speaking. And, and I thought, you know, how, you know, we speak in our presence and our authentic presence is probably the most 
but really the deepest speaking we do. And I did want to name that for everything COVID has done, it has really brought a lot more authenticity into my life. And I'm really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Even though some of it, if I told you the details, you would not think it's um, kind of the matter of great joyful gratitude, but there's something about writing life that comes from life as it is that at times is really, um, there's a huge sense of relief and, and gratitude for the work done by life because for myself, I wouldn't choose to take uh, what would be a difficult path. So for example, closing my bodywork practice of 23 years, just calling it good <laughs> enough. And, and saying, you know, the truth of the matter is that keeping up the appearances is doing nothing for anybody. It's actually creating this weird energy that is not even grief. It feels a little like just stagnant. And, and the authenticity of saying, well, it's done. And going through the motions has this release and, and authenticity then comes you know, really rises, the, the barometer of authenticity is rising. And, and there's something about that where I've learned a lot about um, the gratitude for that this, in these many months um, and to be continued as it seems, you know, we're not done with that one yet. So, so that recognition I think is going to serve me going forward as more sort of difficult things um, arise along with good things, but definitely more difficult things i i can feel them oh yeah was, none of these things are finished <laughs> they're no. just next it's always just next next well, oh. and the, yeah and the imposed yeah. isolation from life is is the one that really is getting me um the most because i had a very tragic event happen in israel with my family with absolutely no no recourse, no, no way of connecting with them in person, which I would get on a plane in a minute, mm-hmm. but I can't. Um, and where, where the maybe that authenticity comes is to say, well, when you can't, what can you do? Yeah. And it actually gives you a new resourcefulness that is kind of doesn't come if you just follow the first impulse and mm-hmm. some of which is habit energy and some of it is is true, but there's just this, reckoning that's happening some of it through lots of difficulties but i'm just wanting to note that and 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 express that about this difficult era that we're in i think reckoning is a good is a good world how how we come to to reckon with these things it's a plane and see my father as he died and my mother and my sister and we're going through that and my nephew and not able to connect with family and friends is because there are th- ways in which I'm thinking now uh, how I used to feel the weariness of the amount of travel that I did, even though I enjoyed it and I love my work and I'm glad I could do it. And now I almost long for some of it. I took it for granted that it was a choice. Like I could go or I could not go, you know, now it's like, no, you can't. So then I can feel when it's taken away what I was, uh, what was made available to me in a, in a different way. Right. And it refreshes the choice because you realize it is a choice and maybe you refresh the intentions or the motivation and really clean out the, the habit energy, the, the way commitments and obligations just get us kind of on a hamster wheel. I mean, all of that 
has a new chance of being parsed out. And, and the choices may look similar, but they probably won't be the same if, if we do that kind of work. It, it, um, who's doing it changes, even if it looks almost the same. Correct. Yeah. 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 Thanks, Efrat. It's a joy to see you. It's good to see you, as always. Enjoy the snow. Thank you. If it was cold enough, it'd be snowing here. It's just misting. So. <laughs> but, and I see that we're at the end of our time, so um, we'll en enjoy our uh, four practice principle chant together. And let it remind us of this, this reckoning, this coming to terms, this reorientation that we were just speaking of. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream, each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream, each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. So I hope that some of you will continue the, uh, the joyful and grateful connection in shifting to the, the porch, we call it, rooms, uh, to visit with friends. And uh, I'll shift back to Jessica for our final, final words here from Appamata in Austin. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you, Flint. Appamata's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity and your support makes a really huge difference. So thank you, everyone. Now more than ever, there's so much gratitude for Sangha, for each and every one of us. There's a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org and you can go and visit uh, there to find out more. And, and if you are looking for a way to connect uh, a little bit more informally or one-on-one, -on -one, please do join us on the porch. Um, there's a link on the calendar right now. It's called After Inquiry. Thank you.